1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
2: It's 2011, and Beyoncé is performing an intimate, sold-out show in New York City. She's on stage telling the crowd about what it took to get to where she was. About when the emergence of the Beyonce we know today began. It's 2003. My first solo album. She's talking about Dangerously in Love, her debut solo record, the album that took Beyonce from being a member of Destiny's Child to being a star in her own right.
3: You would think after all of my success, I would have proven myself, right?
2: There were more challenges. She encountered doubters, label resistance, and even failure. Encountering all of that and overcoming it took a certain level of confidence and fearlessness. A fearless vision that made Dangerously in Love such an unbridled success. It's what laid the groundwork for Beyoncé's solo career. It's the fuel behind her seminal releases Lemonade and Homecoming. It's what made Beyoncé an icon. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is a bonus episode of Making Beyoncé. The final chapter, Fearlessly Herself.
0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
2: To understand the story of this moment in time, what set her on this course, we have to go back a couple more years to 2001. Beyoncé's group, Destiny's Child, was about to release their third album, Survivor. By this point, the group had gone through some major upheaval. Disagreements with management, animosity, lineup changes,
3: lawsuits. but
2: But through the chaos, emerged something special. Living through that and growing
1: through that, I think, just turned her into someone who
2: was more focused on the future. That's Stephanie Gale. She was in charge of the entire marketing team behind Destiny's Child at Columbia Records. And I think it
1: probably allowed her to think more about what she wanted as an individual.
3: I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to work harder. Survivor, what? I'm gonna make what? it, I will survive, keep on surviving.
2: And it opened Beyonce up artistically as well. She'd written all but one song on Survivor and co-produced the entire thing. The result could not have been bigger. By summer of 2001, Destiny's Child was on top. Their album Survivor was a smash hit, commercially and critically. Now at their peak, Destiny's Child did something unexpected. They decided to put the group on hold. Beyoncé's father, Matthew Knowles, says it was all part of a plan.
4: I sat down with all three ladies and say, hey, let's build the audience by doing the thing you love individually. And I asked each one of them, what is it that you love individually? Uh, Michelle said gospel. Kelly said pop. Beyoncé said R&B. Timbisa Mshaka says the label was on
2: board, too. She oversaw the advertising and messaging for the women and says the move for Beyoncé to go solo was long overdue. Because Destiny's Child had
1: had a number of personnel changes between the album the Writings on the Wall and landing on Kelly, Beyoncé, and Michelle for Survivor. The conversation, when is Beyoncé going solo, had been going on for quite some time.
2: Matthew's plan? The women would each put out solo albums, grow their audiences individually, and bring them back to the mothership, Destiny's Child.
4: Matthew says it was a pure business move. The formula is very simple. He who has the largest audience will have the greatest sales. It's audience equals sales. All of them were bringing an audience a unique audience.
2: The plan was set. And near the end of 2001, Destiny's Child made the news public. Instantly, all eyes were on Beyoncé. And Beyoncé and Matthew's eyes were set on more than just music. You'd like to think romantically that the emergence of the fierce Beyoncé we know was all about her passion and artistry. But to hear Matthew talk about it, You might think it was a cynical strategy, a masterclass on how to become a superstar.
4: Where your typical artist was just doing the same old thing, you know, go to black radio, go to BET Awards, (laughs) you know, Our, our approach was different.
2: Different meant spreading into other arenas. And by the early 2000s, Beyonce was in demand. Her face began popping up
4: everywhere. My position and my approach was more of entertainment value and building a brand, brand awareness. Everything from the name to the wardrobe and building those brand partners.
2: Brand partners meant endorsement money and increased exposure. Beyoncé started landing lucrative endorsement deals and acting opportunities. A seven-figure deal with cosmetic giant L'Oreal Soon after, she'd become the face of Pepsi.
3: As he walks with his Pepsi can.
2: A space Michael Jackson and others had occupied in years prior.
3: Sir, a please. And they the Pepsi on to Z.
2: Commercials were all well and good, but if you really want to build your brand, what's bigger than a pop star with commercial endorsements? How about a movie star?
4: In 2001... She'd set a path for a film career. That was another extension, brand extension. Because this whole thing is a simple formula. If you look at ways of building your audience. Film being a way of building an audience.
3: We both know if I go to jail, I'll never see it again. Please, just let me go home.
4: Her first role was starring in MTV's
2: made-for-cable TV movie musical, Carmen, a hip opera.
3: Your life is wasted. That's why you a cop. You never got to taste it if you had one
2: drop. Within a year, she was starring alongside Mike Myers in Austin Powers' In Goldmember. It was Beyonce's major motion picture debut.
3: The future better get ready for me because I'm Foxy Cleopatra and I'm a whole lot of woman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was meant as a moonshot lifted off with a sputter. The film did well at the box office, but was thrashed by critics and did little to help her break out as a movie star. There was, however, an opportunity to break out in another way, something more familiar to Beyoncé. The film's soundtrack featured the song, Work It Out. The song would be Beyoncé's debut solo single. It Out was so different than anything Beyoncé'd written with Destiny's Child. The song had a funk groove to it that matched the Austin Powers' 70s vibe. You could really hear Beyoncé flex her individual style here. The critics loved it right away. If past was prologue, this was bound to break through. Instead, the song went nowhere. It failed to even scratch the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Not only was her film career losing momentum, her solo music didn't seem to be finding an audience either. Matthew's plan for Beyoncé wasn't quite working out as planned. It's moments like this that made success as a solo performer seem less certain. And with each of the women from Destiny's Child working on solo albums, everyone was about to find out what life was like outside the success they'd achieved as a group. First up were Kelly and Michelle.
0: Thank you, Lord, hallelujah. In 2002,
2: Destiny's Child members Kelly Rowland and Michelle Williams released their solo albums. And they crushed it. In spring of 2002... Michelle's gospel album hit number one on the gospel charts.
5: Thank you,
2: Later that year, Kelly's album, a pop release, became a global hit. Things just got a lot more serious. Beyonce is now the one who has some catching up to do. By 2002, Beyoncé had already met prolific hip-hop artist and mogul Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z. That summer, they connected, and he tapped her to perform on a single for his upcoming release. For the song, Jay-Z hit up Kanye West to produce it. Kanye said that Jay told him he needed, quote, "...the best beat you ever made." Kanye had found exactly what Jay-Z was looking for in Tupac Shakur's song, Me and My Girlfriend.
5: girlfriend,
2: Beyonce seemed to find in Jay-Z exactly what she'd been looking for, and not just musically. Beyonce's longtime vocal coach, Kim Wood Sandusky, noticed right away. I remember Beyoncé coming into my studio after they had met, and a little down the road where, you know, they were talking a little bit, and I, I was thinking to myself, oh, she has met her husband. I could tell. I could just see it in her eyes. I could hear it in her spirit and in her soul. And he was very attentive to her and very compassionate with her. By the end of that summer... Jay-Z and Beyoncé tracked the song. That September, she'd turned 21. A month later, Jay-Z dropped the song 03 Bonnie and Clyde. Look for
4: me, young B, down the west side, highway, doing what we like to do, Eyes behind shades this necklace, the All of my days, been blind days, the got...
2: And though the two were keeping their romantic relationship under wraps, the lyrics said otherwise. <laughs> The song broke into Billboard's top five. Beyonce, now with Jay, was back. Up next, going solo and the crazy dangers of love. After the break, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is Making Beyonce.
0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY
2: and NPR. In 2002, production began on Beyoncé's solo debut album Dangerously in Love, and a lot was riding on it. Timbisa Mshaka. This was the album where we were basically saying, you are
1: watching the formation, no pun intended, of a legend. So... Yeah, we took it on with that thought. We didn't know what that was gonna look like, but Beyonce had already been in the business for most of her life by the time she did her solo album. So she was more than ready, and this was her opportunity to really show the world who she was as an artist
2: on multiple levels. But they wouldn't treat it like it was just another Destiny's Child record. They couldn't.
5: Quincy Jackson, who was leading the team, devised a plan. Establishing her, I started as if I was starting from scratch. As if I wasn't dealing with an artist with a lot of fame. And the reason why I took that approach is because I, I wanted to dot my I's, cross my T's, and not take anything for granted. I've, you know, in history, we've seen many, many... You know, female bands and and male bands have success, and one breaks off, and it's lackluster success. And so I took nothing for granted. I started off as if I was reintroducing a person to the world. Timbisa says that the pressure was on. It was clear to
2: everyone that success was anything but assured.
1: What it did was... It raised the bar for me in terms of how high the stakes were. I mean, that project, I think, was probably the one that had the most eyes and attention and just anticipation inside the Sony
2: building. But Beyoncé and her team saw it as an opportunity to connect with her audience outside the building and to do so on multiple levels, to be
5: vulnerable, yet inviting. Again, Quincy Jackson. I really truly believed at that particular time that there were, you know, females of many many ages and definitely the LGBTQ community who really were looking for someone who said, you know what? It's okay that I have got curves. It's okay I have a southern drawl. It's okay the energy I have on stage I'm just going to give it all and I don't have to always be poised and I can actually sweat on stage and I can still feel beautiful and, and doing that. We embraced that all and those were innately herself. So all I did was really take a magnifying glass to all of those unique things that made her extremely special. You know, she's fearlessly herself. Quincy says that fearlessness was infectious. Nothing was ever finished. That was different than any other project i had been on. Even when you think you're finished, challenge yourself that much more. It's like running a race and you say, okay, I'm almost near the finish line. I can slow up. That's not when you slow up. That's when we speed up. And throughout that project that was the difference. It was a constant challenging of ourselves and of the team in a healthy way.
2: Following Quincy's plan to build Beyoncé's story from the ground up, Timbisa says they took into account all of Beyoncé's assets. Musicality, relentless drive, and something else. The
1: aesthetic of of the Beyoncé record was, you know, one that was playful but also sensual and more mature.
2: You could hear all of this reflected in Beyoncé's songwriting. And Timbisa says you could hear something else.
1: Speaking about her own vulnerability in relationships and flexing a little bit of anger resentment like the things that we just saw glimpses into that really set us up for albums like Sasha Fierce and Four this was really about a woman's internal dialogue and not just her like dealing with courtship and dealing with scrubs as we used to call them back then and just kind of casting guys off like really now we're going deeper we're not just scratching the surface of relationships but we're really looking at a woman's thoughts and feelings and the impact that these relationships have on her
2: Beyonce Knowles in 2004 talking about the album the name of my album is Dangerously in
3: Love and because I'm a young lady basically evolving into a young woman now um, I thought that was a great title because there's so many steps in relationships and
2: love, and that's what the album is about. But the desire to open up more about herself and explore more mature themes bumped up against what had been a relatively PG rated brand for Beyonce. Timbisa said it presented a challenge for the team.
1: It was really about bringing across and revealing more of the woman and are the fans going to be good with Beyonce revealing more about herself and talking in more explicit sexual terms. What you see with Dangerously in Love is, you know, Beyonce coming into her full understanding of womanhood and everything that comes with that. And Dangerously in Love is an album full of songs about relationships and, you know, one's own journey
2: as part of a relationship. There was one relationship in particular that had a significant impact on Beyonce and on the album. It was
5: Beyoncé's relationship with Jay-Z. Again, Quincy Jackson. The relationship had started around that time frame, and many women have a hard time being independent and powerful and thus in love and vulnerable as well. And so dangerously in love, from where I stood, definitely meant being in love is obviously almost like playing with fire for many people. And it's an empowering thing. It's You can find power within vulnerability. And I think that that was essentially very important for her to also relay. Again, Beyonce Knowles.
3: Crazy right now is, I guess you would say, the first step of a relationship when you are still kind of, it's right before you let go and you're still conscious of, the things that you're doing, and you're like, God, I'm looking crazy, I'm I'm playing myself, I'm doing things that I would never do, you know, but you kind of don't care because you're falling in love with him. His love just got you bugging.
2: Dangerously in love seemed like the natural next step for Beyoncé after an album like Survivor. Because what happens after a woman survives and discovers her inner strength? She opens herself up to any opportunity, any possibility— and begins to see that there's nothing standing in the way of her best life. Again, Quincy Jackson.
5: Whether it was through the title song, Dangerously in Love, whether it was through the first single, Crazy in Love, even the energy that was emitted in that video is there's this dichotomy and, and contradiction of, you know, the fire and the water and, and her being sullen in the back of the taxi cab, but then also, you know, her with her crew in the middle of the alleyway doing what's now one of the most iconic dances, the Uh uh-oh dance. Okay,
2: Beehive, you know what Quincy is talking about here. But for the uninitiated, let me explain a bit. By now, we're all familiar with the concept of twerking. Beyonce and her crew of dancers are engaging in what I like to call a baby twerk, where the booty does its thing and the chest pops in and out rhythmically but the real star of the sequence, it's the face. These women are serious about this choreo and Beyonce is serious about this love. She pulls off the flawless twerk while maintaining steady eye contact with the viewer as if to dare us to even try to look away. You can't, and you also can't watch this video or even hear this part of the song and not at least attempt
5: a little baby twerk of your own. She has this way of dancing with the contradictions and making them work within one lens. On June 20th, 2003, Beyoncé's solo debut,
2: Dangerously in Love, hit the streets. And while her team at the label was ecstatic about the record, Beyoncé has said the feeling wasn't exactly universal around Columbia Records. It's a story she told a crowd years later at that intimate, sold-out show in New York City. A big fu to the powers that be who doubted the queen bee.
3: I put my heart and my soul into dancing in love, and after playing, playing my records for the record label, they told me I didn't have one hit single. And they told me, "I'm sorry, Beyoncé, but I don't hear one hit single." I guess they were right. I have time.
2: She had five. And the label ate their words. Crazy in Love topped the Billboard charts for eight straight weeks. A song so big that Rolling Stone magazine called Crazy in Love the song of the century. Again, Timbisa Mshaka. Crazy in
1: Love was a huge record because it just catapulted her and and separated her from Destiny's Child, you know, immediately, especially with the collaboration with Jay-Z saying, all right, we're, we're going to a whole different place.
2: Quincy Jackson said, quote, nothing was ever finished for Beyonce. She adds
5: that her team took that mentality fully to heart. Up until the 11th hour, we were perfecting and making sure everything was the best it could be that's the thing that's so different and special about this project and about her that until you know the fat lady sings we're not done again Timbisa Mshaka
1: we called the year of the record being released the year of loving dangerously because across the board there was critical acclaim there was audience acclaim and multi platinum very quickly and Lots and lots of hit singles, so we knew that we had an unequivocal smash of an album.
2: The album Dangerously in Love is still Beyoncé's best-selling solo record to date.
1: So enough, looking, so if
2: 2003 was the year of loving dangerously, 2004 was the year Queen Bee began her ascent to the throne. And it could not have begun in a more storybook way. She entered 2004 with six Grammy nominations for Dangerously in Love. Six! On February 1st, 2004, Beyoncé made a special stop in Houston, Texas. There, standing dead center on the 50-yard line of a packed stadium in her hometown, Beyoncé Knowles was delivering the national anthem and kicking off Super Bowl
3: 38.
2: A week later, Beyoncé was in Los Angeles, California for another kickoff performance at the Grammys. On stage stood a man who, more than a decade earlier, nearly signed Beyoncé and her group, Girls Time, to a record deal.
1: Never meant to cause you any song,
2: It was Prince.
5: Never to cause you anything,
2: Then, Magic. never
3: wanted to be.
2: The performance, pairing an icon with that year's breakout artist, brought chills. For Beyonce, Dangerously in Love was the culmination of nearly a decade and a half of an artist's journey. From a child performer to the young woman who had written the song of the century. And Grammy night was an important recognition of all that it took to get there. Years in front of the mic and behind the scenes.
3: You know, One Yep, here we go.
2: Years of breaking barriers.
1: You know, it's important to remember that there's value in having women of color in positions of power anywhere, you know, but particularly within entertainment where women of color are, and I use this term in the, in the business sense, are exploited so often.
5: Again, Quincy Jackson. I think artists like Beyonce have helped to open doors to be taken seriously, not just as an artist, but she's, you know, an astute businesswoman as well. Timbisa Mshaka. Behind the scenes, women don't get their
1: credit. They don't get the label of genius as often as they should because they're so great at delivering these incredible performances and chart-topping records that the emphasis is on those things that are sort of on the surface and is less so in terms of the things that go into the mechanics of making music.
2: The word iconic gets thrown around a lot. But everyone, fans, stands, and even haters, knows who Beyoncé is, that she's a talented solo artist, a bankable brand, and a force to be reckoned with, not just in the music industry, but across pop culture lines. If that's not the mark of an icon, I don't know what is. With Dangerously in Love, she set the foundation for a career that would lead to her landmark album, Lemonade. From a newly independent woman twerking with her crew and her boyfriend, up through adulthood, motherhood, and a marriage to that boyfriend that, at that time, was indeed crazy in its love. The Beckys of the world have yet to recover.
5: Quincy Jackson. I think what people don't really realize is that they see this natural talent and they just think everything comes easy. She has worked tirelessly. She has committed herself and has had discipline that very few people really would would work towards. When you have a person who literally moves towards something, no matter what the obstacles are, with lack of sleep, with such great sacrifice, there's no denying that that person is going to reach where she reached. On February 8th, 2004, Beyoncé Knowles
2: simply owned the Grammys.
3: And the Grammy goes to, do you want to do it? Uh, you take it, one Okay. Dangerously in Love, Beyoncé! Wow. This is unbelievable. Performing was enough for me. I'm just so honored. I want to thank the Grammys for giving me this wonderful opportunity. This was my first record as a solo artist.
2: Beyoncé would go on on to take home five Grammys that night. At the time, it was tied for the most Grammys ever won by a female artist.
3: I want to thank my parents Oh, God, this is unbelievable. Uh, Kelly and
2: Michelle. That record would stand for another six years. When one woman took home six trophies, that woman was Beyonce. It's a record that is yet to be broken.
3: God bless you.
1: Thank you.
2: Making Beyoncé is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Jill Hopkins. The senior producer is Joe Dassault. The executive producer is Brendan Banizak, And the managing director is Kevin Dawson. Production help from Jen White, Meha Ahmad, and Justin Bull. Well, that's it. That's the third season of Making. We're already hard at work on another season about another icon. So if you enjoyed the series, we'd love it if you could help spread the word on social media and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to hear what's next on Making. I'm Jill Hopkins. Thank you for listening.